0: Last winter, after the weekend I spent in Bandera, hanging out at Archie Blues, I took a meandering route back to Austin so I could check out a place I'd heard of called the Albert Ice House. Situated in a rickety wooden building off a quiet back road between Fredericksburg and Johnson City, it sounded like one of those only-in-Texas kind of places, and it didn't disappoint. Like any proper ice house, the bar was half open to the elements And a young ex serviceman sat on a small stage crooning country ballads for a sparse crowd. I sat down at the bar, ordered a beer, and after a few sips ended up talking with the guy to my left. He told me he grew up about a mile from where we were, and when he spoke of the changes he's witnessed, said, The peach orchards have been going away. Well, this caused me to sit straight up on my stool. See, I grew up munching on hill country peaches June through August, and still regard them as one of life's simple pleasures. So a few months later, at the peak of harvest season, I drove back out there to see if this was true, and of course, to get my fix. I'm Evan Stern, and this is Vanishing Postcards. Before we get started, for my fellow Texans and history lovers, I must take a moment to recommend the podcast Wise About Texas. While I don't always agree with what goes on in Austin, the State House recently passed a resolution honoring its host Ken Wise for his 100th episode, which is an action I can totally get behind. In Wise About Texas, you'll hear about characters and incidents in history both familiar and wild. For instance, did you know that back in the 1830s, A few Texans tried to annex the Mexican island of Cozumel. (laughs) Yeah. If you're curious to hear more stories like that, plug your earbuds into Wise About Texas, which can be found wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have an appetite for some tales from the New South, do yourself a favor and check out Tommy Tomlinson's excellent Southbound. Produced by Charlotte's NPR news source WFAE, Southbound features conversations with notable Southerners from all walks of life, including the Grammy-winning, genius Current receiving opera-writing Rhiannon Gideon, whose work is dedicated to searching for the musical roots that connect us all. Take my word, Southbound is worth a listen, and you can check it out on your favorite podcast app or wfae.org southbound. And now, let's get on with the show.
1: Well, when we got married in 51... Uh, there was a drought going on, and it was so dry and so uh, all of the there were no grass fields or anything. There was just sand, and when the wind would blow, it would just. I'd never seen. Of course, I, I came from Blanco County, but it wasn't as sandy as it is here. And when that wind would blow, that sand would just blow. It was just. I just didn't know how we could put up with it, but we did, and we got through it.
0: Some people you meet just exude warmth. Nelda Vogel is one of them. Sporting a bouffant of white hair, clear blue eyes, and smile that could win over the grumpiest of misers, she carries herself with a strength that belies her 86 years. I caught her after an afternoon of peeling peaches, and... We're standing in the parking lot of the Vogel Orchards fruit stand, which she'll tell you she and her late husband George started on a shoestring nearly 70 years ago.
1: At first we thought it'd just be for fun, I think. You know, we planted, I I think, 50 trees, those first ones, and then we planted another more and more, and uh, it's been a real good, real, real good crop for us, good living. But we actually met when I was 15 years old, on the looking back dance floor, and uh, all of our married life, that's what we did for fun, is dancing.
0: The stand sits about 13 miles outside Fredericksburg, on Highway 290 near the town of Stonewall. It's a pretty drive, but one I find hard to recognize. There's more traffic, making it a challenge to take things at a leisurely pace, and Stands like these have become dwarfed by vineyards with imposing gates and tasting rooms built to look like castles. They've exploded around here in the last decade and I tried to count them on my way in from Austin, but lost track somewhere around 32. But talking with Nelda brings me back to my childhood when Fredericksburg was a peaceful town known for its architecture and German bakeries.
1: My uh, mother's side of the family was Irish, but uh, the rest of them were all uh, German, and uh, they came here in 1845 and 46, and they uh, came because everything was so bad in Europe and Germany area and all, and and it took a lot of doing for those folks to uh, build and and then they didn't even get all the land they were promised when they were to come and all of that, so they pulled, but I still say that George and I have lived in the best of times, because we didn't have that hard work and all, like digging up trees and making, fe- clearing fields and all, like, the and trying to build homes and the weather was bad and, and uh, And we went through World War II, but still, we lived in the best of times because we could work to make a living, our children could all go to school and uh, graduate from college and those kinds of things, so it was just a, a good living.
0: The story she tells is a familiar one as most natives around here trace their roots to German settlers who fled war and oppression only to find different challenges in Texas. The land grants rarely proved as promise. Many were fraudulent altogether, and the Hill Country's soil and climate did not exactly prove to be the breadbasket it was advertised as. Yet they worked hard, minded their own business, voted against secession, and cultivated a culture of independence and self-reliance that still sets this area apart today. This is something that Lindsay Yensky, an attractive brunette who married a farmer and moved here from Waco, appreciates.
2: I think Fredericksburg in general is just, you know, every small town is special and has a heart, but Fredericksburg's unique. It's unique in the culture. It's unique in the the original families, if you will, that came over. the his, The history of the town is neat.
0: But as one who's just passing through on a quick visit, I worry this uniqueness is getting harder to find. The old stone buildings on Main Street are still there, but its streets are packed with tourists and. Candle shops and high-end pet supply stores elbowed out the barbers and hardware suppliers a long time ago.
3: I remember driving through town with my grandfather, who grew up here, uh, when I was a kid, and he was complaining about the way everything had changed, and that was 50 years ago. And if he would see it now, he would really, uh, he's probably turned over in his grave several times.
0: Today, Fredericksburg has taken to marketing itself as the new Napa. But... Given the influx of well-heeled new residents and visitors, Texas Monthly recently cautioned it's on its way to becoming the new Aspen. Yet, despite these changes, there's at least one thing I know you can still count on. Summertime? is harvest season for peaches.
4: And we have something here, the 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 taste and the quality of peaches grown in this area. You know, I've had peaches from all over the United States, from you know, from Alabama, from Georgia, from South Carolina, California, Colorado, a lot of it places straight off the trees, and I've never really found anything that has quite the same fullness of taste that these do here.
5: What made this community, I think, so famous because the peaches just taste so much better than seem like any other county, you know. but it's a great experience except, especially when the juice runs down your chest, you know, God, it's nothing better than the tree rye peaches from Gillespie County. You
2: know. And you know the best way, if you ever can do it, the best way to eat a peach is by picking it off the tree on the hottest day of the summer and biting into it and the is just running down your face and hand. Nothing better. It's like nothing you've ever had at the store. Georgia peaches are good, but I would do a blind test any day.
0: Now, I'm not one for getting involved in any games of one-upmanship and am loath to overhype anything, but I've gotta agree. There's nothing quite like a Fredericksburg or Stonewall peach. If you're not from Central Texas, you've probably never had the pleasure, because they really don't grow enough to sell wholesale to supermarkets. On average, they're probably smaller than most peaches you've come to know, but they're also sweeter and juicier. And sitting in his office under the cool of a window unit, Nelda's son Jamie, who took over running the Vogel Orchard in 1998, tells me why that is.
4: We get some good temperature variation here because we are a somewhat arid climate here. We're on the edge of the desert. You know, you don't have to go too far out to the west to find desert. We get about 30 inches of rain or so here a year, whereas, you know, you might go to East Texas somewhere and there will be 50, 60 or more inches of rain on average. And so we have higher sugar content in our peaches. Peaches don't like a lot of water The more you water them, the more uh, bland tasting they become because they lose the sugar concentration. And uh, the soil here, the pH in the soil is right. Uh, You know, there's just a a combination of a few things that seem to give us a a really uh, unique flavor.
0: As I've read, farmers around here started discovering this and planting trees in Stonewall and Fredericksburg back in the mid-20s. But things didn't really start to take off until the 50s, when crippling drought pushed farmers to switch from peanuts to peaches, something Lawrence Gold remembers well.
5: Well, uh, like I say, we raised peanuts. That was our livelihood. But then it, it got so dry, we just couldn't, couldn't keep going. So we found out that the peach trees did pretty good and went to those. And my dad used to holler up when we were sleeping upstairs it's, it's time to get up we've got to go to work yeah what's amazing about the price of the peaches back when there used to be a little store right next to us here and uh, we uh, my dad brought brought some half bushels down there and the guy said i'm gonna sell those for five dollars a half and he came home my dad came home and said my God, those people who go to get a heart attack. He's asking five dollars <laughs> a half for these peaches. No, <laughs> no, it's sixty, huh?
0: <laughs> but any hopes of making easy money in the peach business should be swiftly dashed because this work is all-consuming.
2: Well, it is a job that lasts year-round my father-in-law tells everybody as soon as the last peach is picked we start on the next year's crop Um, whether it's pruning planting um, you know plowing weeding you know whatever it may be it's a constant thing we're on a schedule we go with the weather Um, it's it can be uh, very rewarding but it also is it's very time consuming and, and labor You know, it's it's very
0: demanding. What's more, you need all the elements to go just right. Most crucially, these fruits need cold weather, which Lawrence's daughter, Luenna Priest, says has been getting harder to come by.
3: You do. You need a certain amount of cold hours. Depending on the varieties of peaches you have, and we have about 24 different varieties, they require different chill hours, usually 600 to 800 hours. It doesn't have to be freezing. Uh, usually anywhere between 34 and 45 degrees. Those kind of gray, cloudy days that nobody likes. That's perfect for the peaches uh, in those times. And it basically it's, it's kind of like us. You have to get a good night's sleep so you can be productive the next day. Well, during that winter time, the peaches need to to sleep and rest so that springtime comes. They can uh, they can produce their blooms and then hopefully a A crop in the in the summer Uh, this season we have a very light crop because they didn't get that number of hours that they needed and so as a result we we have a very light crop of peaches this year
0: Texas weather is famously unpredictable and even when the heavens collaborate to give these peaches their precious hours of chill a late freeze can ruin a bumper crop and season of hard labor in a matter of minutes something that jamie vogel knows all too well
4: 2001 we had a really good crop i think so i think it was 2002 and it was right at the end of march i believe it was march 30th um there were some projections of cold weather coming in but they were you know the forecast was showing that uh, you know austin was saying oh you know there might be a Uh, might be a light freeze in the hill country in certain areas, and they were talking like 38, 39 in Austin because we watched the Austin weather here primarily. Um, So we went to College Station that weekend to take in some baseball games, actually, and to visit some friends. And uh, Sunday morning, you know, I got up, and it was cold over there, but nothing really worrisome. Cold, clear morning. And uh, I went and got a coffee and a paper, and I came back. We were staying at some friends. I called my dad, and I said... So, Dad, how cold was it over there? And he said, "Too cold." And I said, "Oh." And and when he said it, I knew it because, you know, I could tell from his voice that he was, it was he knew what had happened. And uh, we lost every single peach that particular Sunday morning in just a few hours, really. And he and we had had a good cold, wet winter, which is what we want. We had the great a great setting of peaches. Uh, You know we had little peaches out there. I mean, I remember walking through the orchard that week before thinking this is going to be a great crop And actually it's funny because about a week before I I Said something to my dad like this looks like this is going to be a really good crop and he said well It's not over. Winter's not over yet You know (laughs) a little bit of that German pessimism that we all naturally have here now. I will tell you though that, uh, for instance, I've been at some orchards in Georgia, and uh, the growers there will talk about that year back in 1980 something when they lost the crop, and 1960 something when they lost the crop. Well, I can talk about that every few years here.
0: Ask, and any farmer here will tell you a story about the lengths they've taken to save a crop.
5: And then some people put out hail bales of round bales of hay, and they lit them. God, my, my cows on the other side, they had tears now I just, because they burning up their hay.
3: <laughs> and my two uncles who were bachelors, the story is that they, he, he, of the so he hung a pair of his, wet a pair of his underwear and hung it on the line. And they keep checking it and when it froze, said, well it's too late anyway, now it's just going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> but they were hollering it.
2: The roughest night we ever had was a couple years ago and we were experiencing the threat of a, a freeze. Blooms everywhere and it was like, that was it. And we burned several hay bales, which, you know, you, you burn them so that when the wind blows it pushes the heat and the smoke to form a barrier. It's all the scientific stuff. and. Um, My husband said, okay, I'm going to try something and he stayed up all night in the freezing cold with a tractor that didn't have a cab and he sprayed water on all the trees, every one of them. And he said, I think that'll act like an insulator. It'll freeze those blooms so they won't get below freezing, which they can tolerate and he saved probably half of our crop that way.
4: Uh, one of my neighbors, uh, Jimmy Dicker, who has Burke's Corner down in Stonewall, he tells a story about, I think it was about 1985, and I wasn't here at the time, well, yeah, it was. Hmm. Well, anyway, maybe it was a little later than that, but he tells a story about one year that uh, he brought in helicopters when they were there was gonna be a real cold, and flew it over, the there's about 30 acres in front of his house, had them flying over that all night long, basically saved the crop. It, it did exactly what he wanted it to do, saved him from the frost. And he said that year in April, May, somewhere in there, they had the damnedest hailstorm you could ever imagine, and it just wiped out, you know, all this stuff that he worked so hard that, that one particular night to save and spend a lot of money on. And he said, you know, that just told me right then that, uh, you, know, you mess with Mother Nature and, and uh, <laughs> you, you may not want to be, so, yeah.
0: But when thinking of this, Lindsay just gives a casual shrug and tells me that life with her husband at Yinsky Orchard has taught her to expect the unexpected.
2: Let me put it to you like this. I try to have a plan. I try to know what's going on the next day or someone calls and says, I want to know if this is available. And this is my husband's answer. I don't know. I have to see what the trees tell me. The land tells me what I'm going to do. I'm on that schedule. I'm not on a day to day, you know. So living by the crop, if you will. Whatever the crop may be, I'm learning that this is our livelihood. This is this is what we chose to do. This is what this is it.
0: Back at the Gold Orchard, owners Luanna, Ricky, Lawrence, and I are seated at a table in their stands gift shop. Prize ribbons they've earned at fairs hang above shelves offering peach butter and preserves, while daughter Michaela is out back in the kitchen baking cobblers. They opened this building in 99, and the love they've poured into this space is apparent to any who enter. Luanna tells me that much of this is due to her mother, who died in 2017, but whose spirit continues to guide most everything that goes on here.
3: She's just here and everything, um, from the wallpaper that she and I chose and looked over endless books here to the preserves that I'm now having to make that she was doing up until her passing, um, um, teaching my daughter and son how to make the pies, uh, the stories we still tell with the ladies repealing. Um.
0: And speaking with Luana. It's clear that here she feels not only the presence of her mother, but all those who came before.
3: You know, we're we're trying to keep it in the family. We're trying to keep things going. Um, I feel a great sense of uh, pride and obligation that I, I I'm pleased with what we're doing here, and hopefully, hopefully enough to made my mom and dad proud, and uh, uncles and grandparents who passed away before I was warm um, you know we've talked is the state of our orchards are getting to where we'd really needing to decide are we going to replant or what we're going to do and that um, you know, our kids are going off and it would be much easier to turn everything into just ranch land and and increase our cattle herd but you know, labor is as I said is a big issue labor is a big
0: issue this is a tough reality People aren't coming in to plant new orchards, and considering the risks and toll involved, I get why. The reason we can still enjoy these peaches at all is because of these families who've kept this going, and when I ask if these crops are endangered, Luana and Ricky don't have to think long.
3: Huh? Yeah. I think so, to, some, to some degree it's just not as profitable as it was. Weather's changing, so it's harder to, to grow crops just trying to deal with mother
0: nature. Lindsay Yinsky tells me her young son seems to have inherited his father's green thumb and says he's never leaving. Jamie Vogel's kids, Josh and Bailey, have expressed interest in taking up the reins, but he stated plainly that if they choose this path, it has to be their decision and no one else's. But the children of Luen and Ricky Priest at Gold Orchard, for now at least, appear to be heading in different directions.
3: Uh, I have two children. My husband and I do, and my daughter just graduated from UT, and my son is a musical theater major at Oklahoma City University, and uh, they they grew up here. There's their pictures right there when they were <laughs> they, they they grew up in this, this uh, in this business. But the likelihood of them, you know, to return at least you know early on is is very unlikely. And I think that's just a lot of families around here. Their their children they. Chosen different paths.
0: Um, I can't blame them. And their parents and grandfather clearly don't either. But what happens to an orchard when a family moves on? After our chat, despite having worked a long day, Ricky graciously invites me to hop in his truck to show me theirs. It's a short drive off the highway on the other side of the Pertinalis River. This countryside is pastoral, undeveloped, and heart stoppingly beautiful. But along the way, he gestures towards some neighbor's open land and tells me the fields I'm looking at used to be orchards. And when I ask if he's ever heard of any vineyards taken over where peach trees once stood, he says, sure, right over there, waving towards some grapevines on our left. This pains me to see because of an open secret I discussed with a trio of kids at one of the stands. Is this land around here actually good for wine grapes? I don't know anything about growing grapes, but the word on the street is not really.
3: I know there's maybe like one or two that actually grow all of their wines. I think the others may have like a couple. But a lot of, a lot of wineries,
0: and this is just hearsay, so no truth to it really. <laughs> but uh, um, I, I
4: don't know many wineries that sell a lot of their own wine in bulk compared to stuff that they bring in from other places. So I don't know.
0: Look, I love wine. I love wine tastings given the scenery i get why people want to come here to spend an afternoon drinking and let's be clear the farmers i've spoken with unanimously agree that this increase in traffic has been a boon for business in fact because of these wineries demand is probably higher than it's ever been so that's great and i want to make it clear that i'm the one spouting off here not them but i worry this wine craze is a fad that's more about an experience than a crop and question its sustainability. On my way to visit the gold orchard, I passed a vineyard with a huge sign that advertised itself as Tuscany in Texas. And when I see something like that, I have to ask, why can't we just be Texas? I mean, peaches might not have the allure of Cabernet, but they're what this land produces best. And the families that grow them are the custodians of the hill country that people fell for in the first place. The thought of all this disappearing as generations pass should concern us. Towards that matter, obviously, we should all do our part to better the environment, but I've read of initiatives, both public and private, funded all over the world dedicated to preserving crops like these. I wouldn't mind seeing something like that happen here. Near the end of our conversation, I asked Lindsay what she'd like people who casually toss peaches in their shopping carts to know.
2: There's a story behind everything in the supermarket. Somebody had to plant, somebody had to take care of it, someone had to harvest it, someone had to pack it, someone had to line up the selling of it. I mean, it's a whole history behind whatever that they're they're buying. Um, and just maybe look at things a little more differently. Maybe you understand that when you're buying a fruit or a vegetable or something, it's not something that you can manufacture, that you have to be appreciative of the fact that it actually grows from the earth and that you have to put in effort to actually receive something from it.
0: These peaches do tell stories. They're the stories of the Yensky family. Lawrence Gold, Luanna and Ricky Priest, Jamie, Terry, George, Nelda Vogel, and generations past. Have you maintained any German traditions in your life and household? Absolutely. Sure, some of the,
1: like German potato salad, it's a must. Jamie says if you make any other kind of potato salad, you may as well throw it over the back fence. but uh yes we have uh, german traditions uh uh like we're all kind of uh tight with our money <laughs> just uh, and we still uh, still speak german ich bin klein mein herz ist rein so niemand rein aus jesus line that translated says I am little. Let's see, been My heart is clean where nobody shall live but Jesus alone.
0: As you might remember, this past winter, Texas got hit by a devastating storm. When it happened, these hardworking families were among the first I thought of. However, I'm pleased to report that while harvest season is arriving a little later than expected, all tell me this year's crop is shaping up to be a good one. I thank them all for taking the time to speak with me, and if you make it out to the hill country this season, hope you'll visit the Gold, Yinsky, and Vogel orchards. They're all on social, as are we, And for photos and more, invite you to follow us on Instagram or find us at vanishingpostcards.com where we'd love to hear from you if you have any stories you care to repeat or know of any places we should consider visiting. As always, I thank you for listening. And assuming you enjoyed today's postcard from the Hill Country, if you haven't already, I'd be most appreciative if you could do me a solid and hit that subscribe button. It's free, it helps us grow, and by doing that, you're guaranteed to never miss anything. And, of course, if you know anyone in your life who might enjoy what we're up to, I can't tell you how much it would mean if you could just take a second to text them and share this episode. Our theme music was written and performed by Max Krauss and Emily Young. I'm Evan Stern, and hope you'll join us next time for more Vanishing Postcards. Vanishing Postcards.